welcome back to the Renaissance in Our Times podcast. Hope you're having a great day. My name is Richard Emerson and I will be your host today. And today we're going to talk about an, uh, a video on the Jordan Peterson podcast with Dr. James Orr and Dr. Nigel Bigger. And it was called Searching for God Within Oxford and Cambridge. So this was a very interesting conversation. It lasted for more than two hours. It was posted on September 27th, 2021. It has about 320,000 views of today, October the 7th, after about two weeks. And uh, just a little bit of background. So Dr. James Orr is uh, the assistant professor at the Faculty of Divinity at the University of Cambridge. Dr. Nigel Bigger is an Anglican priest and a moral and pastoral theology professor at Oxford. And Jordan Peterson is... Uh, He's a very famous Canadian psychologist, also in the tradition of, uh, in some sense, of uh, of Joseph Campbell and also of Jung in terms of interpreting myth and biblical stories within the psychological framework. So there's also, he's gradually moving more and more into theology, which is something we're going to talk about now in this little commentary. So uh, they were touching many different topics, but we're going to look at three specific points there. The first one comes around 2940 into the conversation. And what uh, Jordan Peterson is saying is that, quote, uh, there is something like truth nested inside love that constitutes the highest level of ethical striving. End quote. So this is a very interesting uh, way of formulating his, his kind of uh, gradual searching and kind of going deeper and deeper into this. Uh, there is something similar said by his colleague, John Verveke, who's a um, cognitive scientist, also from Canada. And uh, he has said something similar in one of his videos about that he's moving towards an understanding of rationality within love as something as kind of the, the center. And this is interesting and it's also a bit heartwarming because this goes... Uh, straight back to St. Dionysius, the Arepogite, and also Hebrew theology, where they talk about seraphim and cherubim as the two highest level of angelical beings. So Dionysius has uh, nine levels. So the two top are love. So seraphim are love. This also means fire. And cherubim are then uh, symbolic for streams of knowledge. S and then... The argument is that the strongest spiritual force in the cosmos, in existence, is love, and the second strongest is cherubim, and, and as knowledge. And cherubim are also the ones who are then, if we look at the symbolism of the old biblical stories, they're also the one who is garden. Uh, they're guarding the Garden of Eden. They're also on top of the ark itself, meaning they are uh, symbolic of of both kind of what is needed to get into the most, like an understanding of the most holy, you, it goes through knowledge. And so they're both protecting and being a portal at the same time. But it's interesting to see how he now is moving towards this uh, sort of conclusion gradually that these two forces are, are at the heart of his thinking. In this case, he calls it an ethical striving. And it's also very present in Dante's Divine Comedy, which is interesting because that is summarizing to a large extent the Catholic theology uh, up until the point of around 1300. It was written between 1315 and 1321, uh, the, the last part of the Paradiso. 
And then in the sphere of the sun, you have two rings of, of the, the wise people who are then uh, knowledge and also kind of divine insight. And so there are 24 people, the two rings of 12, and the inner ring are the Dominicans who are then symbolic of knowledge. And the outer ring is the Franciscans, and they are then love. So that you have kind of <laughs> the knowledge inside of the love, and they are there's this kind of mutual reflection back and forth between these two rings. And this is what Dante describes as kind of the 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 center and the, the deepest source of understanding of the spiritual world and also of the divine world and existence and knowledge in the Paradiso. So that was the first point. The second one is a little bit later in the conversation, around 5336. They start talking about animating spirits. So John Peterson is referencing people who have been helping him at different points of being inspiration, but like they in themselves were motivated or animated by some kind of a spirit. And then he says something like the the people are seem to be animated by a spirit rather than the other way. So it's not like the people then uh, like possess the spirit, it's the other way. So this goes also straight back to, uh, for example, the theology of St. Dionysius. So like knowledge or love, they also have like uh, territories or different divine messages in the terms of like angels which means just message, messenger in Greek, um, who are using people, using the material to manifest their nature. So it's kind of crucial and important and a little bit decisive move from Jordan Peterson to move into saying that the spirits are primary in the sense of the spiritual is primary to the material. Because once he, he's doing that, he is... He's moving himself like firmly into th theology and he's also putting himself in some extent in opposition to the, the, main, the main thrust of kind of modernist thinking where materialism and rationalism is the, the primary, the, the foundation. So uh, it's kind of a way of seeing that Jordan Peterson is also moving and then since he was talking to two theologians there from Oxford and Cambridge, they were, uh, they are agreeing with this view view of uh, of existence and kind of ultimate reality as well. At least it seemed like it to a large extent. Okay, third point is um, something that came up around a little bit later, like one hour and four minutes, when they start talking about the world of matter versus the world of consciousness, and then. So the final quote here is from Jordan Peterson, and he says, quote, Is there any difference between the mind-body problem and the God, the spirit, and the material world problem? Are they the same problem on two different planes? So this, again, to connect this to something historical, to, to something like the tradition, both the Orthodox and Catholic tradition, which in many ways encapsulates uh, so much of, of spiritual philosophy, over the last 2,000 years in Europe. So uh, that way of looking at it is, in one way, it's the key to understand the spiritual, uh, again, then we're going to use Dante's comedy here and the Paradiso, that when they go to, when they come to the moon, 
which is kind of the first sphere of the of the nine spheres plus the Empyrean. But when they come to the moon, that is a portal, and it's a very strange portal in some ways because it's uh, they Beatrice and and the pilgrim are sucked into the moon as light comes into water. And then they're suddenly inside the moon, but the moon is a fixed body, like a firm body, solid body, and they are true. And then it's like, this isn't supposed to be possible. So it's presented as an enigma to just make us start thinking. And then he opens up this idea that you can separate, but also have active both the spiritual and the material at the same time. Uh, it's like you can create this unity that is uh, possible to kind of apprehend at the same time. And that is, he calls it like, when you understand this, you're going to sparkle like a gem. It will be this shining star for you that you can actually experience the world in this way. And this ties into both uh, the relationship or the, the unity of kind of mind-body and also how you see uh, the divine and the material. And then, Gradually through the last book here, like or the theology at the time, is that uh, all of the material is embedded in the divine, in the spiritual, which is beyond time and space. So that is one way of of trying to think, kind of to capture it with language. It's also then like if you have a story, you can you can unify this kind of temporally that you can have <laughs> like a changing story, which happens then when. They travel out of the cosmos, they come to the fixed stars, and then they come to the primo mobile, which is the first mover. That's kind of the, the deepest you can go in the Aristotelian philosophy, like the, 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 the source of the first, or in it's kind of the divinity for, for um, Aristotle. And then when they go outside of that, you come into the pure spiritual, which is light and love and timeless. So that's also a way of seeing how these, these things are... Uh, I'm, I'm careful of using the word connected because that starts making like a system, but it's unified. It's kind of how they are related to each other. This takes a long time to get used to. If this is like the first time <laughs> you're hearing this, it takes months and years to get kind of the brain to gradually uh, be able to understand or to, to apprehend or also to build a new apparatus for, for relating to this. But... Gradually, it becomes more and more um, natural. And then you also see that in some ways, we, we always think like this. Just as a very slight side here, it's like um, one of the old tricks from the Greeks to, to move towards this way of apprehending is to just think about the nature of numbers. Like the numbers as concepts, this is like the, the questions that we're asking. Uh, they are like an eternal amount of numbers but they are nowhere. So if you ask, like, where are the numbers? Well, they are nowhere. So they are, they're not spatial as concepts. And then you have this uh, limitless internal uh, amount of them, and that's, there's no problem of storing them. So that's also just underlining that they don't operate in space. And they also ha don't have uh, seemingly any age, so they don't operate as in time either. So you can just think of the concept of numbers, the world of numbers. And then you have this, this realm that is beyond time and space, it's a very kind of uh, limited and technical realm, but, uh, but it's still there 
we see it as real and we apply this to things all, all the time. When you just count something, you apply a number from this realm onto the material. So there, there's, this is a very simplistic example, but it's the first kind of stepping stone into uh, contemplating this, this idea. Okay, so those were the three main points we wanted to talk about from this conversation. It's, uh, it's a joy to just watch... Uh, like uh, the two scholars from Oxford and Cambridge engaging in Jordan Peterson's way of talking, which is uh, he is also then a scholar, but but just getting more of the 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 old tradition in also like the more like scholarly form is also at times very helpful to kind of sort out how the current thinking. Uh, fits into partly also this broader or, or very wide amount of knowledge and reflection and writings over many, many centuries. And then we gradually see that the current times are like it has something uh, unique to it because times are changing, but they're also rooted in very often in something timeless. So like in this case the relationship between the spiritual and the material and a little bit of the structure of the spiritual with, for example, knowledge and love and how this is also then sometimes guiding the material. Okay, so we're going to stop this one here. It's about 30 minutes. Uh, hope some of this was interesting, some food for thought, maybe some inspiration. Uh, we're going to put the link in the description. It's Especially the first hour is very, is highly recommended to get the theology part of it and the symbolic interpretation part of these topics. And uh, with that, hope you're still having a great day. And thank you so much for listening and see you again in another episode.